This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing, of course, their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix, helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of InsureTech Insider. My name is David Breer, and I'm joined by a rather wonderful co-host this week, Nigel Walsh. Nigel, say hey. Hey. So we are starting up a interesting little show and sort of committing on a quite a fun little voyage of exploration into everything that is InsureTech and kind of what makes it the the hot thing right now, like Nigel, right? Absolutely kind of feels like all of the sort of emphasis has been around fintech, but we sort of feel like with all of the investment and all of the different changes going on and, and actually just interesting companies like the people who've got in here today, then uh, really feels like a good subject to be talking about. There is not a better time to be in insurance in my mind. I am biased 100%, but it is an exciting time right now. <laughs> and uh, personally, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for uh, insurance, having worked there for the global giant in this space of Viva. So um, having worked inside one of the bellies of the, the big beasts on this one, then I've got a pretty interesting view of what this thing is. We'll be looking at all of the sort of significant disruptions in this space, whether it be in general insurance, whether it be in health insurance, uh, or even things like life and pensions. And really, dear listeners, this is exactly why we're here to talk about. So InsureTech Insider will be coming to you once a month here in the channel for Fintech Insider, um, sitting very, very neatly in the 11 Media Network. More on that to come very shortly. We want this show to be not only for the experts, but for beginners as well. So we'll be talking through the latest news, insights, trends, and the industry to really bring you right up to speed on everything that makes InsureTech pretty cool right now. If you're a regular listener to Fintech Insider, you kind of know the drill, but for those new to the class, you'll be talking through some of the hottest startups, the decision makers, and bringing you a lot closer to the people who are really shaping the industry. So let's get on with the show. Joining us this week, we have some fantastic guests. We've got Ben Green from Talk Insurance. Say hey, Ben. Hello. And regular, or it was back in like episode 11 or 12, I believe it was, of Fintech Insider, we've got Freddie McNamara, the founder and CEO of Cover. Say hey, Freddie. Hi. Right, let's get into it. So before we really sort of get into, I guess, uncovering a little bit more about InsureTech, why don't we start with a bit of an overview about what you gentlemen do? So, Ben, tell us a little bit more about your company and where you are in the journey. Sure. So uh, the the focus for for me anyway is on uh, home insurance and specifically on moving the dial from a a home insurance product, which is a a generic average of a a house in a postcode to a very specific smart home policy. So using all the advances that there are in, in Alexas and Dots and Hive and nests uh, to bring together a, a proposition which can base the, the risk actually on my property at a point in time rather than a whole bunch of rough generic averages that exist and we end up paying for 12-month policies that we don't really need. So the, the promise of uh, big data really sort of being able to do one-to-one products? Is- yeah, big, big data, internet of things. And I think where we are in our journey at the moment is waking up the underwriters to exactly what that shift and that transition is going to look like. So don't, don't expect to see any products out there in the market anytime 
anytime soon but um, I think you, you've got to start somewhere and that's partly dealing with manufacturers of the kit that's dealing with the, the infrastructures and the architectures that need to be in place to uh, acquire and move that data around uh, and then dealing with the uh, the community that is the, the underwriting world in terms of getting them ready for moving away from generic averages to genuine one-to-one pricing which is uh, some journey to be on. <laughs> There's a, a culture transformation story in there I'm sure for, for all of those underwriters but we'll no doubt get to that bit very shortly. Um, Freddie, likewise, what is Cover and what do you guys do? Uh, Cover's on a mission to make insurance more flexible and more tailored to your needs and we do that by building flexibly uh, distributed insurance products. Um, so we have two products live in the market at the moment. The first product lets you buy as little as an hour of insurance to borrow a friend's car. Um, it's been doing incredibly well. We've been live since October 2015 with that and we've just sold our millionth hour of car insurance. Wow, congratulations. Um, the second product we have live uh, is what we call Cover Subscription uh, and Cover Subscription lets you store your car on the side of the road and pay 20 quid a month for it to be comprehensively insured and then every time you drive it you can pay a few pounds uh, depending on how long you drive for. It's all about making insurance less of a massive slab uh, that you buy once a year and more, something much more interactive that's tailored to your needs rather than the needs of the masses. That's really, really cool because, uh, you know, last time we talked to you, you're doing really, really well. And now, you know, millionth hour in uh, about sort of eight months, I think, since last we talked on Fintech Insider. So that's pretty impressive going. Yeah, it's been growing pretty quickly. I'm sure it was like low hundred thousands last time we spoke. So that's pretty impressive. So like, that's why everybody looks really tired in the room right now. It's like getting that done is pretty, pretty impressive. So maybe if we start with a a bit of a 101 question and, you know, given that this is the first episode of what we're looking for with with InsureTech, then what actually is InsureTech? Is this just some weird sort of name mashup that we're doing because we're sort of hipsters and want to be cool in an industry or is this like a real thing what do you guys fintech, think fintech's little brother has, has has entered the room and he's called itself insurtech so i was talking to somebody yesterday and saying these are all just buzzwords right they're just rallying cries to bring people's focus into an area where actually focus is required and you know fintech's kind of had, had its day and it's matured and people understand it and so you you've created this little buzzword off to one side and insurtech to give the focus that it's due mm. uh, my, my very succinct uh, definition of it is it it's about the industry catching up with consumer expectation, which is a lot like we've been through with other ex-techs. Um, but this one is very much about a series of propositions that just don't really make modern sense to consumers anymore. And so you're going to use technology from a consumer trend point of view, from a tech trend point of view, to, to kick the incumbents into action. I completely agree with that. When I founded Cover in 2013, there was no such word as insure tech. All I was doing was solving a problem for, for me and my mates. And uh, that's exactly what it is. It's consumer, it's consumer needs catching up. Um, well, insurance catching up with consumer needs. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, what, we, what we ended up with, let, let us do that. Yeah, I, I like those definitions because like, if you look at like general definitions, it's it's more about things that don't feel like they're changing anything within the current insurance model. But actually, that's the fundamental, isn't it? You know, it's uh, expectations are being set so high outside of industry. Uh, and really, it's about how do we sort of level up to be you know where people expect us to be. I think we, we all like to put things in boxes so we can place them, understand them, group them together or otherwise. And the fintech logo brand... Monaco, whatever we want to call it, it's been around for a long time and everyone gets it, everyone's been through it. 
InsureTech for me is exactly as you've described it, but it's a nice way to bring together things that have been happening for decades. Because we've, you know, you could argue the price comparison websites were the original InsureTechs, disrupting what they had by aggregating data and pushing out a different way. Today, it's about actually just grabbing them together, working out whether we're going to take out costs, drive efficiency, grow new uh, market share elsewhere. And it's a nice way of bundling them into a place that says, actually, this InsureTech should be treated slightly different than your traditional technology providers i guess mm. so do you know are consumers saying i i haven't really heard my mum sort of stand up and demand a new way of doing car insurance but that doesn't mean that the consumer actually knows what they need right they know that they might not be necessarily satisfied with you know buying a product in the way that they're buying it but they don't actually know what the solution is until they're faced with it so you know i guess there's a an underlying sort of apathy to a certain degree and similar to what we see in, in banking within with, within the insurance space but actually customers know they don't like what they've got but they know they don't know what they need it comes down to control i think because what people are presented with is this price that sits on the page and they can either take it or leave it they don't know how that they can influence uh, their their own behavior in order to manipulate that price and potentially you know Push, push it up if they think they're going to be taking a bit more risk or push it down if they think they're going to be taking a bit less. Um, and so I, I think people are running up against that frustration. Uh, and that's why when they see a new proposition that comes out, uh, they can immediately see that that actually gives them that lever yeah. uh, and they can move towards it rather than sticking with an incumbent product. And that, that's the opportunity that incumbents create by not really pushing the dials forward is if ever you can see an opportunity to meet an as yet unmet need, that's your opportunity to go found a business and get in there and cause, cause some fun. Um, and, and consumers, by their very nature, often don't know what they need because it hasn't been done for them yet. But as soon as you put something out there and give them an opportunity to kind of test and get their teeth into it, you can get the proposition, you can see the value. It's not provided by anybody else. And then it's simply a, a race to see who can generate the, the critical mass fast enough. It's personalization right? on, on almost a mass scale or a unique scale. I think you were saying earlier, the known unknowns and unknown knowns is, is, is the thing where, where you're going. This, this ethnic graphic research this unmet need of the client no one knows about it because no one's tried it we've been conditioned into a way that say these are the silos in which you'll buy this is the route that you'll go to and if you go across the the globe you go across the, the us for example people will typically buy based on what their parents have done and their grandparents have done whereas in the uk or throughout europe we're used to doing things the completely different way our loyalty is slightly not as well there as i guess as our us colleagues in that sort of way so for me this is the did you know you could buy it by the hour Actually, most people don't know they can buy it by the hour. So actually, the distribution of it, the education of the customer is a significant challenge to the inverted commas insurtechs out there who are trying to capture new customers. Hmm. Is this about white space opening up from the incumbents then? So they're, they're not keeping up with where the bar is being set for, for from a consumer perspective and therefore the, the incumbents aren't able to move into that space. And I guess what's the inhibitor for them actually being able to keep pace with where customers' expectation actually is? This is where it would be interesting to see whether InsureTech follows FinTech. So, so FinTech was, for a period of time, all about white space, and then very quickly everybody started doing really cool partnerships. Um, and then those partnerships matured and people started taking equity stakes. So you've, you've seen a, a trend, if you like. Now, can that trend be applied to InsureTech? Only, only time will tell. But um, what, what I've noticed anyway by sitting down and talking to big established incumbents is they haven't really embraced the fact that this is here. 
and they haven't really embraced yet the fact that there are lots of new entrants all experimenting and exploring new ways of dealing with with customers retaining customers and they're all sat around the boardroom table going yes this digital thing is very important and we should do something about it and and they haven't even signed off the business case yet let alone mobilize teams of people to to go play so i i I don't know we'll see right there is white space right now um what will that be filled by well time will tell us i guess I mean, we, we've we've got an app in our pipeline. Is uh, <laughs> yes. something something I've heard. It's very nineteen eighty six. I've got an app for you. We've got um, some guys in Shoreditch. We don't know what they do. Well, I think I, I, I think all of these big. I mean, it's it's not just insurance companies, and it's not their fault. It's by the value of being a massive organisation, it's very difficult to uh, to innovate unless you build innovation into the structure of the the fabric of the organisation from day one. And these these businesses have been around hundreds of years, and so when when things start moving very quickly, so whereas like where we're seeing a behavioural change where people are willing to share their assets more, and so. Um, the, uh, the the cover hourly product, the, the the sharing product, lets you lets you share your assets and provides the inf- insurance infrastructures to do that. Now they're just there to collect lots and lots of premium, pay claims. They don't really want to help people share assets. They don't see why that would be important. But actually, that's something that their customers are trying to do, and uh, they're not going to be able to. Uh, then they're not going to be able to do it unless they do. But the innovation in that example, though, is actually the idea of sharing the asset not sharing the insurance the insurance is typically a laggard to all of these that comes after the event so i'm going to share my house airbnb i'm going to share my car let what do i need what do i need in place to make that possible actually i need to have the right levels of cover or whatever else to go do so excuse the pun but i go back to your point about the bigger players out there i'm going to stand up for them i spend a lot of time with a lot of the traditional carriers whether they're personal or commercial lines there is a very big scale of maturity from those that will sit back and watch it and go we're not quite sure what's going on or we have an app in the pipeline through to those that have jumped with both feet full in and are doing things and are innovating from the inside out or taking people out of their current location put them into shoreditch or you know some other location to try and do innovation so i don't think we can easily tarnish everyone with the same brush because there are generally people out there that are doing some pretty cool and innovative things i think one of the other inhibitors though is that the actual structure of the way in which insurance typically has been sold puts the underwriter at a distance from the consumer the fact that there's such a proliferation of brokers as middle people um, means that it's going to be very, very difficult for an incumbent underwriter to teach itself what's necessary to really be B2C. Mm. And I think that is going to be a fascinating inhibitor for the insure tech paradigm, which you wouldn't necessarily have in another tech paradigm. I think that's a, a really fair point because actually like arguably the disruption that everybody's talking about in the banking space has already happened in insurance hasn't it you know the to your point nigel the the aggregators coming in and sort of disrupting the distribution model of insurance was a a bit of a wake-up call arguably you know we've talked about this before but arguably the the consumer isn't necessarily 100% benefiting from that. They're getting a cheaper premium from that process, but it doesn't mean they're getting a better product. Uh, it kind of feels like everything that I, the the bits that I'm particularly excited about within within the insure tech space are all about moving it from a product to a service. It's about an ongoing thing. It's not about being at the top of a comparison table and being the cheapest. It's about creating a better service. Totally, and shifting away from price again, because we've educated our customers through PCWs or elsewhere that they're all being compared and they're all apples for apples and they're absolutely not 
it's moving from price back to value and it's got to be we've got to start looking at things like insurance plus what are we going to get above and beyond this back to the connected home or connected car or connected health and again even in that sentence alone i'm being silo driven because i've been conditioned to be silo driven actually i'm still nigel i'm going to have all these things as i go through my day my week my month why aren't we thinking in a customer centric way as opposed to product centric that suits the carrier as opposed to the customer Mm. So it kind of feels like, again, it's sort of insurance is quite a broad spectrum here. You know, it feels like it isn't just the white space that's being sort of played with. It does feel like it's actually everything through the to, through the lines, whether it be home insurance or car insurance or, you know, even into sort of life insurance. And actually, we've seen some really interesting companies start to come into the sort of annuities and pension spaces, which, you know, arguably the sort of capitalization for those things coming into the market are not traditionally things that you'd think a startup would be playing with. So... Yeah, it feels like quite a different advanced space to fintech, really, which is surprising given that, you know, the banking world has taken so much of the sort of uh, plaudits and furry of sort of all the technology hipsters sort of coming into it. So kind of the insurance space is pretty hot, right? I'm biased 100 um, percent. This for me, the, the, the fundamental difference has to be that in fintech, my understanding, and David, no doubt you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, I could break out payments, transfers, savings, lending, and work through it in isolation quite happily. In the insurance side of the fence, someone's got to provide the capital and the balance sheet to support the claim at the end of the day. And not many people want to start from scratch and build an insurance organization top to bottom. Hence why I think the incumbent and uh, insure tech partnership is so much more important. Agree. Data also seems to be quite a pivotal point on this. You know, insurers have always actually been pretty good at, uh, you know, um, the the models that underpin all of the, the sort of premiums are probably way better than, than banking actually has been in terms of those things. You know, risk has always been a, a thing within banking, but it's kind of a, into a bucket, basically. Whereas insurance seems to be like a fundamental, right? Like, in, is this a... I think uh, in, uh, certainly in, in car insurance, um, uh, in, insurers have got incredibly good at using the 32 questions that they actually get through the through the aggregator to perfectly price on, on, on that basis. But what they aren't able to do because of the distribution channel that's built up 20 years ago is price on anything else. So they just don't get any context with uh, beyond those 32 data points that allow them to uh, uh, allow them to see you know where a poten- potentially a, a better risk pool lies. And I think that's where that's where we're headed. We're a bit we're heading in a direction with insuretechs being like, okay, guys, well. That's a, that's a great model and everything, but have you considered the time of day <laughs> during which the the customer usually drives? Like, would you like that as a rating factor? Here's all of the here's, here's all the data. Go and do your regression analysis. Uh, and at that stage, you get a very quick pra- paradigm shift. Um, if uh, if one insurer is suddenly better at pricing than all the others, then uh, then all of the others have to follow. So and and it, it, it's an area of great fascination to me around smart anything, whether that's a smart home or a smart car, or you know, the amount of data that can be given in more or less real time to to affect a pricing decision it is totally different from the generic averages of the 30-odd question set that currently get get false to you. And and the feedback from the consumer and the the, the better bond that then is in existence between the underwriter and the consumer is awesome. So lazy Ben walks out of his his house this morning and doesn't set his burglar alarm. And suddenly I get a push notification to my phone that says, "Uh, do do you want to set it? Because otherwise your premium for today is going to go up. Or we've set it for you, Ben. Don't worry, we've got you covered. Yeah, yeah. So these sorts of little, little dynamics are 
are all there in a way that they, they would never have been in, in fintech land. There is a massive challenge, though, in terms of building the bridges between the data at the point of uh, risk rating and the underwriter with the capital sheet who's actually going to underwrite it and, and do the rating. That, that is a, a world that's going to take loads of time. Can we argue that we're drowning in data, though? So I've seen, you know, David, you talked talk about us being good at data. I think we have to be to be at the table in the first instance, but I think we could be so much better. And you see a number of the startups in this space right now that are leveraging data in a whole new way, that unencumbered by legacy at the outset, and as a result of not drowning in the, the big data or all the historical stuff that they've got, they're actually making smarter decisions as a result of it. Legacy, legacy of mindset as well. I had a lovely conversation with, uh, with an underwriter about uh, floods in, in houses uh, and leak safes and, and flood detectors and everything else. Sounds and, fascinating. Uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> they were really nerding out on, we've got to do a trial over three months to measure the flow of water just in case you know we, we get a false positive you will get a false positive because when i hose the car down you'll think it's a flood right. uh, but but you can take some of that out if you take away your, your encumbered view and simply say well i will ask the customer so uh, it, it looks to us like you, there is a, an escape of water in your house are you there at the moment to phone you know, no i'm not turn it off boom done so actually, there will be lots of false positives while people fiddle their way through the data, but you can remove those by simply having a consumer relationship on the front end. But it can get to the creepy stage as well, which people ask me about all the time. You know, how much is too much data in this instance? One of the people I've spoken to previously talked about n- knowing when someone had washed their hands or not washed their hands after going to the toilet. Now, if they hadn't washed their hands, does that link back to your health insurance policy to say, actually, there's a risk here, guys? Man, that's disturbing right there, isn't it? So there you go, right? Therefore, then do you start to lose consumer client confidence because how much data is too much or are you openly prepared to share everything to mitigate your risk you're going to shift through the gears of consumer experience and consumer expectation as the the kind of the the 25 to 30 year olds or 35 to x year olds that, that people will have a different appreciation and the way in which you're building for the future compared to how you offer a proposition right now is probably going to be different so today's whatever it is product whether that's home or motor aimed at a certain age group has with it a certain appreciation of how i want my data to be used equally if you look at my kind of five and ten year olds coming up through the system they will have a totally different view i'm sure about the way in which actually do tell me to wash my hands if i haven't because actually i know that that in the long term is good for me is this your five and ten year olds telling you yeah, the, the yeah. system? <laughs> don't, don't post it to facebook where really <laughs> i think at the end of the day you're going to have government intervention to prevent uh, a lot of these rating factors actually being used because uh, insurance Insurance is a uh, is a is a pub- public need, uh, and uh, you need to be able to uh, protect against an unknown loss. Yeah. So, for example, if if you take your pension and try and buy an annuity, uh, if the annuity provider starts saying, "Well, let's DNA test you and see if you've got any uh, see if you've got any bad genes in there," mm. um, Grandma Breer four generations ago had a thing. Therefore, you can't get life insurance. Well, in now. A, I suppose annuity, they'd be like, "Well, you got a gene for cancer. Off we, off we go, guys." Uh, but uh, it's it's it's, it's the same um uh you, so, you so end, where's the where's the fine line because that's that's a battle right i think you know? that's that's going to be chosen by the, by the government the way motor insurance works is that the big guys the uh the really the really big insurers only really do it as a favor to the government so that they can write all the other profitable lines of insurance because uh, especially with young drivers they they are they just do not make money mm. 
Yeah, well, unless they charge them sort of £7,000 for a premium, which um, I vaguely remember my sort of Vauxhall Nova costing me for, for kind of, uh, you know... Even my at £7,000, <laughs> it does not make money. Yeah. They had a point, though, I did crash it into a tree pretty quickly after that. So, <laughs> so they did know something about this, didn't they? They did, yeah. yeah they, they saw me coming. Let's charge you for a new car. <laughs> on the flip side, though, you, you talk about health and stuff. If you go back to some of the examples from a few years ago where we had... Um, data being used to drive uh, insurance around HIV and stuff like that in South Africa, again, there's opportunity to create policies or cover that allows you and incents you to do different things. And again, it created some profitable business as a result of it. So it's the opportunity, I, I guess, you know, insurance has always been a, you know, it's been probably top of the grudge purchase really you know the level of engagement that insurers can actually have with their consumers is an annual fight for the cheapest thing that gets me through the pain of being able to go back to do the thing i actually wanted to do in the first place which is probably watch tv or something so is this an opportunity for insurers to actually move to like say that service model where you've got a much more frequent engagement with your consumer base you've got much more positive continued engagement with your consumer base and not just an annual your premium's gone up therefore you need to you know pay it or figure out what to do next that feels like a massive opportunity to me yeah there's a huge opportunity on the distribution side i mean if you look at it at the moment the way the way you buy an insurance policy is you, you go to google and type in cheap car insurance and then you go through this entire list of going through the aggregator and then you go, go to the broker website on the underwriter website and you put your stuff in and then you finally realize the price is going to change a bit more and you know, i think most it's people, like half a day yeah mo- most people are like do i want free cinema tickets or a meerkat and that that's like the selection criteria of where they go to first so which uh, is i think uh, i think the way uh, what amex have done has been uh, has been pretty great um you get your amex card you've got your concierge service you've got your uh, you've got your air miles uh, there's this, like you've got your travel insurance um uh, there's a there's a huge amount that you can do around just around the sort of making the the, the front of sale much better so it goes back to for me what are we trying to give people back other than peace of mind, which is the, obviously we're here to return people to pre-loss condition should an event occur. But peace of mind for me is trumped by, actually, I want time back. And if you can give me time back to do the things that I enjoy doing, be out with the kids or out at work or whatever it might be, rather than on a comparison site or direct on a, uh, another site or whatever else, that's the bit that we do. The same for the broker. The broker is there to make the acquisition of cover for whatever it might be, commercial property, cyber, whatever is out there, as easy and painless as possible for the person that wants to acquire it to cover the risks. See, I, I wonder if there's a control element to it as well. Uh, it, may, it may be that the, you know, the segment is different, that, but there are people out there who, for the, let's take health as an example. Um, if you were to change the relationship with the end consumer, so you were constantly sort of nudging them and gaining feedback and nudging them and gaining feedback, say, if you do this, then something will happen. At that level of kind of um, acuity of what's going on around my insurance premium and policy i can see a lot of people getting very engaged with and i I say that with respect to watching kind of retail banking change with the advent of things like mobile banking people are snacking on their balance in a way that you would never have dreamt that they would snack on their balance and could you get to a similar place around kind of you know fine tuning my policy through my own behavior and therefore modulating my risk it's the vitality model right so let's let's reward you for for better behavior more activity which in in turn in most instances, will lower your risk. The, the one thing that hit home for me the other day was I was on Facebook of all places and I'm scrolling through the thing and a sponsored ad was something along the lines of, we'll write your will in the time it takes you to wait for your coffee. 
So it was less than something like 20 seconds to provide your will. Now, there was another company that came out, I think it was LV, that did some stuff around the time it takes to buy your pension cover versus the time it takes to spend researching your annual holiday was dramatically different i.e. you spend more time looking at your holiday for the two weeks you go away each year than you do for your entire retirement. So there's got to be a misbalance of what we're interested in and engaged and excited to go do versus the thing which is the instant gratification of I'm going holiday in two weeks. Yeah, and it's a great gateway for me anyway to see different providers starting to develop that relationship. So, you know, Motor's a good one. I, I would be entirely happy for the next car I buy, whatever the manufacturer is, to have enough smartness in that vehicle to do my insurance for me. And then I don't have to worry about going off and doing price comparison sites and entering all sorts of different things. About, yeah, they, they know enough about me from just looking at my driving license to know all they need to do to give me a decent price and if it's smart enough we can have a conversation as i'm driving along in my car saying yeah okay i'm going to drive it differently this way that way what if, well, uh, what, nearby. What, if the, what if the price was more expensive than you could get on a price comparison website but if this comes back to the point of value right so for for me anyway and i may well be a different segment than most the the basics are not right to drive legally for me the basics are knowing that my you know, reasonably expensive sports car w- will be looked after in the event that dot dot and so i expect to spend time making sure the tire pressures are right and i'm not driving it dangerously but for that i expect a trade-off of a different type of value which isn't just price now i I take the point that actually that's a very different world from where we are now because we've all been habituated into the commodity of price but the opportunity is there now through insurtech to have a different service-based relationship for some not necessarily for everybody and people will pay a premium for it we're we're seeing people say quite happily actually if it's insurance plus then actually i'm happy to pay a bit more money for it because i trust you and i've got my you know my back's covered is, is the challenge in that to a certain degree you know what we've seen in um in in banking is the the data that is being collected is all predominantly around transactional behavior so it's about you know a contactless card i can give to somebody that you can tap and then all of the data around that and the insights that you can get around the the relative uh, behavior of day on day or month on month or where you are the data that's required to really do health insurance or uh, car insurance actually the sophistication of the the sort of it devices that would be needed to really make that real time in all of the senses and all the use cases that we're probably talking through are a few years out yet uh, you know i noticed there's a, quite a few apple watches and fitbits and stuff around here but it's catching on but it's not quite massively mainstream just yet is it is that an inhibitor to what we're trying to do No doubt, right? Absolutely no doubt. But um, because you're starting to see that curve of adoption go up, you're going to have the opportunity to start to experiment with different modes and different models. Um, You you look at the way in which something like Alexa is being bought through the market now they've got an enormous marketing campaign behind it that doesn't doesn't do any harm you know but um, the 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 word for nerdy techie people like me when you go out to the pub and you meet other nerdy techie people like me is all about voice Uh, and it's all about this convergence of smarter devices in and around the big assets that you have like a house or a car and so 
now is absolutely the time for people to be starting to put together propositions that make sense around that because you can't help but think that sooner or later that that lag phase won't exist anymore i i completely disagree that voice is going to be a ui worth mentioning in uh, even two years time i mean it's it's quite a fun gimmick to have on my table now what what i was going to say is that um we saw in the last 20 years a bundling of insurance you've got like uh the absolute minimum uh level of cover but you have lots of other different bundles on on that um price aggregator currently we're seeing an unbundling where people are uh, building these pay-as-you-go products uh, that you can you can have insurance or insurance plus uh, and then uh, as the technology gets there we'll we'll end up with a rebundling uh, where you just have one insurance policy that follows you around and all of the sensors that are around you on your phone on your watch in your car uh, just tell the uh, the central uh, central insurance policy how much to charge so i think that's where we'll get to and the ui will, will just disappear completely Uh, you're not going to be talking to anyone it'll blend in and talk to again excuse the pun but it'll blend in and talk to things like the smart city and you know which we engage the the places that we go the environments that we go to the airports the train stations and so forth for me alexa i like it as a interaction it's a good test right now it's a good it's the first thing that we do when we you know as we as we as we grow up and we mature we start to learn to talk before we walk and everything else i'm with you i think freddie i think it's a gimmick it's a bit of fun the fact that my wife plugs have you out used the Aviva skill yet? I have used it. It's it's interesting. Annuities is an interesting one to go and talk to about. There's lots of other things that are on there as well. Um, there's probably about ten or twelve different insurers, and you know what? It gets lots of good attention to say people actually insurance isn't boring and fuddy duddy. We have ways of doing things. There are great use cases. I'm going to be jumping all around the place here, but interestingly, there are some really great use cases for voice assisted claims for. Um, you know, if you're going to go on a holiday and you, you, know, you don't want to call them at three in the morning when you got home from the pub and go, am I covered for taking my camera away? Why not ask Alexa or Cortana or whatever other services on your table when you go home to say, am I there rather than go look up your policy? Because you don't read anyway. Yeah. I, I think like you say, as the sophistication of all of these things and, you know, the, the sort of machine learning side of things, as well as the, the ability to actually understand what you're saying and all of the different languages that need to be supported for that, coupled with the different data sources to make the, the insights that it's actually gleaning way more interesting than just um, you know my child being able to play Spotify in the kitchen which is fun um, then I, I think that's where we'll start to see real sort of wholesale disruption I kind of feel like it's definitely a you know like a, a sea change though because it kind of feels like the the frequency of engagement for me feels like a, a very different place to move to and I think all of these things combined just sort of feel like it's a, a fun time to be sort of doing this within the insurance piece so I think probably what we'll do now is take a bit of break and then talk about the things that have been happening in the news so we are back now let's look at what's been happening in the news then so first up we have insure tech startup by miles raises 350 in funding so i guess funding yay the industry's going well without question again there was a there was a a Willis Towers Watson report with CB Insights a while back that talked about funding and some of the European versus US funding, how it was all changing. I still think Europe is is getting its reasonable and fair share of, of money coming in. But I guess, Freddie, for you, with uh, cover versus buy miles, it'd be interesting to get your perspective on, on one versus the other. Uh, the UK car insurance market is worth £13.2 billion pounds of premium every year we could pass like ships in the night uh, and actually we have very different uh, different propositions we're aiming our subscription product at people who 
very very rarely use their car it's it's the third car it sits on the side of the road it's it's never used whereas they're trying to target people who do drive but they uh, they want they want to pay per mile and uh uh, I think it's uh, anyone who drives up to fifty percent, uh, up to the average, should should uh, should, uh, should be one of their targets. Interesting customers. that our customers now have so many different options. Lots of options. I mean, I think we're we're the only option that doesn't require a black box in the car tracking you, looking at your, your every movement. I think that's that's the. Sounds uh, sinister when you say it like that. It, but, I, uh, mean, I think you might be playing is. on data here, Freddie. But the fun the fun thing behind the yay, there's money for me anyway is is around where some of the money's come from because it's come from uh, an automotive fund it's come from in motion which is the jaguar land rover equity vehicle not from uh, an underwriter or an insurer and, and i find that really really interesting back to the fintech model which is to say ooh, some interesting partnerships maybe are going to come out of this so yeah great that there's money being injected but really interesting to go behind the headline and say well where did that money come from because th- there'll be a profit of knowledge notwithstanding whether or not the the actual business itself returns equity value but where's that profit of knowledge going well at the moment it's going into Jaguar Land Rover and that is fascinating it goes back to our comment earlier around insurance being the laggard of other industries you look at the North American automotive in general it's multi-trillion dollars and of that the insurance industry is a small subset of it therefore who is going to own it the small subset or the bigger ecosystem itself so if I was in motor today or a motor manufacturer I would be looking at every single facet of being able to control own and manage that customer experience while i'm getting into the car my journey through it and everything that goes on beyond it definitely yeah i mean it seems like a really really smart business to be investing in, in that from a manufacturer's point of view I'm surprised others aren't yet i'm sure they're uh, going to be uh, doing that very shortly moving on with there's another story so this was a, a report that came out of pwc and there was a InsureTech Futures report that came out, which was quite interesting, but there was one statistic in there particularly which I, I found sort of fascinating, which was 86% of insurers are worried about losing revenue to startups in this space. So that's pretty fascinating. You know, that's a, a different kind of um, fear factor than definitely we've seen in sort of lateral industries to, to InsureTech. So is this a, you know, is fear good? Like we say money, good, yay. But like, is fear good in this sense as well? So are the, the big boys going to actually properly react to this rather than waiting for everybody to uh, fill out the gaps? I think um, that they are afraid and they aren't afraid. They, they are afraid in that uh, over the last 20 years, the insurance industry distribution has been aggregated in such a way that large chunks of mo- a business can move very quickly and uh, a book can be destroyed or, or made essentially overnight uh, but they're not afraid because uh, they're looking at these sort of tiny little businesses that really are sort of the ant under their shoe and really th- I think deep down when they're going to going, going to bed at night they're thinking well you know it's not going to be a problem for a bit is it uh, and we'll, we'll work it out always <laughs> safe for now thanks yeah. very much I, I guess back to like the, the conversation that we had about aggregators though right you know aggregators were sort of 0.1 percent of the market one year the next year they were 10 percent of the market you know like things can change pretty quickly in the insurance space as you say you know much more than banking potentially because of actually how the the customer behavior is you know they might not engage with you day to day but they're probably likely to change product year to year if you're not actually providing them what they need so you know I, i guess it's sort of accelerated learning to a certain degree and you know with the big insurers having had their um you know fingers burnt a couple of times with either the aggregation piece or like you say you know whole books being destroyed by uh sort of behavior then you know, maybe they're the, going to be a little bit brighter. The interesting point will come when that little ant uh, gets 
tiny bit bigger, but uh, but it's a lot smarter and it can get the the tiny bit of business that actually keeps keeps the big insurer profitable, and the insurer then runs into unprofitability and it's sort of a wily eco-ET moment where they've just already run off the cliff and they're still uh, uh, running in midair before they start to fall. And, uh, you know, by the time they start to fall, they're realising it's too late. But isn't this where we have similar similar relations to our fintech brethren, in essence, where we get to a bank or a challenger bank that's getting to 100,000 plus and then says, how do we scale properly? In insurance, people will follow the lemonade story with passion because it's really, really interesting what they're up to, where the money's come from in the first instance and, and they put into it what they've done. What I love about them is their transparency. They've talked about their 14,000 customers that they've got so far and where they've ranked on the various different scales for, for, this, for, for this today. But if you're comparing to a traditional carrier that's got 15 million or 30 million customers, to your point, it's potentially, you could be seen as an ant and it's interesting, but at one point we might have to react, but maybe not today. For me, the 86% is a affirmation that something's happening. And then it's the call to action of the leadership of that organization to say, do we need to react or are we happy to monitor for now? Yeah, you are at least scanning the market. You are starting to get yourself geared up to assess that market. And if it's anything like fintech, there may well be some aggregation where some of the big players and the insurance is good at this buy into the success stories that are the, the smaller ants that are growing bigger from a colony point of view. You aggregate them all together. And given their scale and safety, as I said earlier, there's plenty of people out there that are making some pretty significant strides of partnering with insurtechs to do to do things, to try things, to bring products to market, to underwrite, to create capacity for new players in the market. It's a much healthier relationship between insurtechs and insurers than banks and fintechs. Mm. I guess it's, uh, uh, again, an opportunity potentially to re-establish the direct relationship with a consumer rather than and sort of wrestle that away from some of the aggregators that sort of control that, particularly within the sort of direct insurance space. So one to watch, I'm sure, as that develops. Um, for anybody who listens to Fintech Insider, you'll know my continual inability to actually pronounce anything correctly. So this is two companies that have actually merged. So this is NIP. Thank you. And Kamparu? Yes. Okay, pretty close. So these guys have merged. What's going on and why? Why have they decided to sort of uh, join powers or is this one of the guys buying the other one out? So uh, let me take a, a, a quick insight into this one. It's, it's an interesting one. I've met the NIP, um, Dennis Justin stuff a, a while back. Um, I don't know it closely, but looking at some of the, the press and stuff around it, it's been really interesting to see, is this the beginning of consolidation in InsurTech? I.e. there's 1,500 plus startups out there today, all doing little things that are quite similar. Therefore, are we in the same sort of space and are we are we fighting for the same piece of budget or mindshare of the, of the legacy carrier? In this instance, it's a comparison site going with the digital broker of some sort bringing these two things together to work out actually are we better together and there's been some press out there that say it's a great move and it's going to be good for all parties other press have said actually it didn't work out and they didn't manage to scale accordingly therefore they've had to come together i, I really don't know the, the the ins and outs of it underneath it but for me it, it feels like the beginning of consolidation I, I'm, I'm going to go the other other way. I'm, I'm going to say it's not yet the beginning of consolidation because the market just simply isn't mature enough. I, I'm going to speculate that it's more around the uh, the investors behind the scenes saying that actually it makes more sense to bolt these two things together. If you look into the the equity structure of the companies, um, there, there are uh, one one or two consistent and persistent people behind it that suggest to me anyway that it's not quite there yet. I mean, it's a very smart move. Don't get me wrong, bring these two things together. Uh, but I, I'd be amazed if we're at the 
aggregation point yet. Now, what it does do, though, is it does demonstrate the benefit of if you can find good aggregations, bring them together now into the market when there's space for them to really fly. Or as well as educated and smart VCs or funding houses that want to bring their investments together for, for later on. Yeah. Didn't they change the name as well? Uh, it's going to be something else I can't pronounce, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> moving on, we have another story. So Amex and talking about sort of money coming into this space as well. So we've got Amex putting money into a InsureTech startup. So these guys have come in pretty hard for this one as well. So Next Insurance, they raised $29 million in May, which is pretty impressive for, for somebody sort of just getting started in this space. And I guess for American Express, to your point earlier on, Freddie, you know, quite advanced in how they want to really sort of get into this space they've been doing you know quite interesting things in credit cards and the way that they monetize those for a long long time now but you know really sort of stepping up their presence in insurance i guess if you don't have a bunch of legacy stuff then actually it's easy to start doing something different right so uh, i actually haven't come across next uh, before now but um uh, american express have a key strategic advantage which is that they have the distribution they have enormous distribution and in fintech that's what wins uh you know can you get distribution quicker than the uh, incumbent can can innovate and uh it's probably a quite a smart move for for next to partner up with amex and and piggyback on that that monster well sort of reading through the article the next insurance is predominantly focused on small businesses which um for american express with everything that they've got with their business accounts actually makes a great deal of sense does isn't it? It's a we have a large base using our cards. Then actually, how can we start providing specific products into those people's needs? So, I guess again, want to want to sort of watch whether um, you know these investments actually sort of come to fruition or not. It's, it's an amazing partnership. I think if you look at the the distribution number one, who's investing number two? To your point earlier, and then actually the segment itself. I think we've talked a lot today uh, about personal lines and some uh, and some moves elsewhere, but the small to medium enterprise sector for me is probably one of the hottest sectors to look at going forward. And I guess we'll cover again over the next couple of shows too. So next up, we've got another name of a company I can't pronounce very well. So this is Gripon. Gripon. Griffin. That, no way is that Griffin. <laughs> wow, there's a there's a whole uh, nomenclature that I'm really going to have to come along with uh, with this show, I'm sure. But um, so there's another raise on this one, which is astronomical in comparison to the the last one. So they've raised 180 million to move forward, and I guess the the money is actually a, a very interesting point. But actually, it was the sort of quotes that was coming out of this one, particularly. So Daniel Pender, a former Prudential and Zurich executive, has come out and basically said. Um, ha ha, we don't have any legacy technology and all the incumbents do. And sort of aligning that to the strategic advantage that they can uh, move forward on. So with no legacy debt and a lot of money, this company might be able to do something interesting, right? Again, fascinating. Every every client I speak to, every startup I speak to, the number one benefit is we are unencumbered by legacy. And as soon as we start talking to legacy, and when we say legacy, we're typically talking 30 or 40 years of history that hasn't really been over-invested in because they haven't needed to. Here we're saying, actually, we've got 180 million, which is, a, as you said, it's a huge amount of money in a sector that's been largely untouched by InsureTech to go, we're out there and we can do something different. 
Yeah. It is kind of be careful what you wish for, though, because even even a, a blank canvas can become legacy quite quickly. Um, and it depends how you go about building from the ground up as well. If you're genuinely building all your kit in-house, you've probably got a, a better chance of, of refreshing it. But if you're building a, a fintech, you know, a lot of startups have gone, yeah, I'll, I'll have a bit of this and a bit of that, and I'll have a current account system from those guys. And you kind of build Frankenstein's monster because it's expedient to start with. But then you reach a point whereby you go, ah, I, I, I need my own platform so um you know I, i've always been wary ever since i, I worked with grocers back in the day you know, legacy can creep up on you quicker than you think so it's, it's great to have a big wadge of cash to go build something making it, it scale is is the trick and that's really tough no matter who you are and where you are I, I think you sort of um hit the nail on the head earlier on ben to be honest with you with when you were sort of saying legacy isn't just about technology but it's actually culture and thinking as well so you know i think uh, i think the technology within most insurance organizations is is old but it's probably not the major inhibitor it's predominantly sort of a cultural barrier to changing the way that you've done things over a really really long period of time so maybe some instances we're going to start to see the you know significant investments from the big insurance players into something very greenfield not just to get rid of the technology but actually just to get rid of the the thinking yeah no i think it's a great hypothesis and you you can see examples of people kind of making good use of things that have been left behind from a legacy point of view for for decades as well you you always rise to the challenge that the cultural aspect is a really much harder one to, to shift and change so yeah it's an interesting hypothesis where they'll go and on that note, I'm sure there'll be far more investments, far more interesting things and far much more to talk to next time, Nigel. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you very much for listening, everybody. A uh, big thank you to our guests, Ben and Freddie. Uh, where can the guys learn a little bit more about you? So, Freddie, where can people learn more about Cover? www.cover.com, C-U-V-V-A. Um, uh, yeah, come and buy an hour of car insurance from us. Fantastic. And Ben, where can we learn more about talk insurance? I'm sure there'll be people uh, speaking at all sorts of different venues and places such as this, giving uh, giving a view as, as we go forward. Fantastic. So if you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Tell your friends, colleagues, family. Tell your wife. Tell your mum, like me and Nigel will be doing. Um, we will have many more insights for you coming up. But if you have a suggestion for somebody you think is tearing up the insurance tech space, then let us know. Nigel and I will be back next month. Thanks very much. <laughs>